Men and women are different, right? (laughs) There are differences in the way that we think. There are differences in the way that we act. There are differences in the way that we relate to one another. Uh, We see this, man. We see this day in, day out. And the reality is that we see these differences even more clearly, even more strongly whenever romance becomes a part of the equation. Right? Whenever a relationship gets be started, man, there's nothing like a relationship to bring out the differences that you've had. One pastor I heard talking about it says that before you're in a relationship, you're just one hand clapping. That's what you are. And all of a sudden you're in a relationship with someone else and you're like, what the heck is going on, right? Because there's differences. And the reality is that those differences that we have, they enter into a relationship and they bring danger, right? Those differences can cause destruction. That's why a lot of us, man, the truth is a lot of us have seen differences in relationships break those relationships apart. We've had friends, we've seen friends get wrecked by a relationship that ended badly. We've seen friends that maybe were heartbroken or their hopes and expectations destroyed before a relationship even began. Because someone led them on or they were thinking something that wasn't happening. Man, when we look at relationships, we see differences. And many times those differences bring destruction. And I have to ask, is that how it should be? Is that how Christians should see the relationships form and fall apart? As believers in Jesus Christ, should we date differently? Should we have a way of approaching that relationship from a different angle than the world around us? I think we should. Because I believe that God has a design for our relationships that doesn't include differences bringing us apart. Instead, God has a design for our relationship that uses those differences to complement one another. God uses differences that we can embrace. And we see this in dating. Man, all semester we're talking about the Song of Songs, right? We're walking through this book and we're looking at, I mean, how does the melody of a relationship reflect the message of God's gospel, right? Every song has both a melody and it also has a message that's presenting. And our relationships are the same way. So the Christian relationship should have a melody that presents a bigger message. And that message should be God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're studying the Song of Psalms to determine how do we do that, right? How do we as Christians not just pursue great relationships, how do we as Christians pursue godly relationships that sing his song above the noise of our world? How do we do that? This morning, we're looking at, still towards the beginning of the book, and we're looking at a couple that's caught up in a romance. And they're caught up in their, they're moving towards each other, Both of them initiating and moving, pursuing one another. Both of them. And as they're pursuing one another in the midst of that mutual movement, what we find is a lot of images, a lot of principles that we would now apply to the area of dating, right? That wasn't really a thing back then the same way that we know it now, but in their movement, in that pursuit, what we see is a lot of stuff that pertains to how we date now. And when we see their pursuit, when we see their movement, what we see is a reflection, a reflection of God in the way that their pursuit is positive, in the way that their pursuit creates protection for the other person, and in the way that their pursuit has a purpose. In each of those ways, I mean, we see the Lord reflected. Now, normally, if you've been with us the last uh, few weeks, you know, uh, I try to be as 
precise as possible, right? When, I, when I'm approaching a sermon, approaching uh, unpacking the word, I try to come at it with just a laser focus to bring in one clear call to action, one clear point, kind of like a sniper shot, right? But this morning's going to be a little bit different. Because this morning, we are walking through a lot of Scripture. I mean, we're walking through a lot of principles. And so it's going to act a little bit more like a shotgun blast, right? Just, boom, just going to spray out there, see what happens. All right? So realize that we're going to go through a lot of different stuff. And I, my hope is that this isn't more of just like a, okay, now I'm ready to date. Like, that's not the goal this morning. The goal this morning is to maybe get a couple things to sink in, maybe a couple questions to arise in your mind, whether you're in a relationship or out of a relationship. We are all called to glorify the Lord through the way that we're in or out of those relationships. And so I want this to maybe bring some questions to your mind, some concerns. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. Maybe God's going to turn you on a certain direction, a certain path. And I want that to create further conversations. I want you to come up and talk to me. Send me an email. Let's meet up. I want you to talk to your maybe small group leader. Talk to one of our interns that are here. There's going to be people in the back at the very end of the service that are praying for you. Go talk to them. I want this time to be constructive. I want this time to just pique your interest rather than answer all your questions. And sometimes it's going to be focused at the guys. Most of it, though, is going to be focused at all of us. I know last week it was a very uh, girl-centric message, which was awesome. Uh, this morning it was started out as like, what do the guys need to hear? And then we're going to have a little bit of guy stuff. But a lot of it's really just going to be for both sides of the equation, right? Both parties, X and Y. Boy and girl, A and whatever. You know, like we're hitting both of you. And we're going to look at, again, how in that relationship, in that mutual movement, in that mutual pursuit, how do they glorify the Lord? It's through their pursuit being positive in the protection that they create and the purpose that they hold on to. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Song of Songs, starting in chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, they they were spread out around your chairs, and there might be some at the end of the aisle if you want one. But it starts out in verse 9, and it says, I compare you, my love, this is the man speaking to the woman, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, that beginning part is actually a compliment, right? He says, I, you are a girl horse among boy horses. Why? Because there was an ancient military strategy where uh, you would have the attacking uh, group of horse, guys on horses or in chariots behind horses, and you would suddenly take a female horse who was preferably in heat, meaning at the sec- peak of her sexual drive, and you would just release her among the guy horses. And the guy horses would be like, whoa, let's go. And they would get distracted, and you were like, yeah. We win. Let's kill them, right? And you would win the battle or whatever. All right, so he's saying, look, you drive the guys crazy. Who you are, what you do, your name, right, a couple weeks ago, your name, who you are is so amazing. But he goes on. He starts to describe her physical beauty. He talks about her cheeks, her neck. And then he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make for you ornaments of gold. And he's not actually a jeweler, right? This isn't supposed to be read like literally like, oh, okay, he's going to go to James Avery and pick it out. And oh my gosh, is it the heart that intersects with another heart? Oh my gosh, would that be amazing? Right? That's not what he's getting at. He's saying, no, instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to build upon your beauty. I want to take what's already beautiful in who you are and what you do, and I'm going to make it more beautiful. I'm going to build on your beauty. That's what my goal is as I'm pursuing you, as I'm moving towards you. That's why he keeps going. He's, and this is the woman. She says, well, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. 
She says, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. What we see is the woman, and this could be uh, just a continuation of the same conversation. This could be a whole nother poem with a whole different couple being thrown in right here. And she's saying, look, I, this guy, I'm going to describe him as a king. This could mean he's literally, literally a king, or it could just be a compliment that she's saying. She says, the king, ah, oh, he's on his couch. My nard gave forth its fragrance, right? Which we've all been there, right? We've all thought, oh, my nard. Menard is going crazy right now, right? Like we've been there. Uh, what she's talking about is, look, this nard, this is a, a upper class perfume that they would use. So she's going with this kind of courtly uh, imagery. She says, so if you're a king, then I'm adorned myself with nard. Oh, <laughs> be still my beating heart. Because this nard is on me and oh, it's so fragrant. She says, and she keeps going with sort of the royal analogy. She says, my beloved, he's like a sachet of myrrh sort of a, a upper-class spice, a, a scented thing. And this is where, we talked uh, at the very beginning of the semester, uh, this is where some scholars who way uh, go too far trying to make this uh, book an allegory uh, for the relationship between Christ and his church, this is where uh, one guy, Cyrus of Alexander, uh, or Cyril, sorry, not Cyrus, Cyril of Alexandria, uh, he says, you know what that statue is? Jesus Christ. Those breasts, Old and New Testament. Praise the God, right? Which I feel like even at that point, Jesus is like, no, whoa, 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 right? That's, it gets a little strange, right? We, that's, we don't really fall on that side anymore, right? We, we're reading a little bit more literally. We're saying, no, 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 this seems to be an actual relationship. And so she's describing what? She's talking about the beauty that he has, the beauty that she's bringing. She says, oh, my beloved, this man, he's like a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En which we think, henna, right? That's, that's what our 15-year-old cousin gets in Florida, right? To feel hardcore, like, oh, I got a tattoo for a week. You know, like, that's, that's what we think of. And that's what she's talking about. Henna blossoms, man, that's what they are. That thing where you get and whatever, it's funny. But you get the henna and they would use it. They would take the blossoms, they would stain their fingers and their toes. Uh, it was this kind of cool little thing. It would be kind of orangey and they would stain themselves. And it was beautiful. People would look upon that as beautiful. And she says, you're a cluster of these henna blossoms. Meaning you make a lasting impression. Meaning you smell so wonderful, but that you stick around. Henna blossoms stick around. And you're not just any normal henna blossoms. You are found in the vineyards of Engedi. Engedi was a region on the western bank of the Dead Sea. And there's all desert, right? It's right next to the Dead Sea. It's kind of a tip off. That area is just not the best, right? Everything's kind of dead. It's a desert. But in Gedi was an oasis in the desert. This one little region on the western bank where there was growth and there was life. There was a spring there that would bring uh, new plants and new life. It was a beautiful place. She says, that's what you are. I look out the world, I see desert, but you are an oasis in the desert. You're the most powerfully scented, most powerful, long-lasting flowers in that oasis. That's what my beloved is. They're incredibly positive, building up the other person. Which is why he says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Which is another strange animal illustration, right? He's going with this kind of barnyard theme, and I mean, we're, we can kind of get behind it, but what does that mean, right? Like, your eyes are doves. Your eyes, they flitter-flatter, and 
sit on top of buildings in New York. Like, I don't know what that means. They're kind of off-white, right? It doesn't sound wonderful to me. I could put them in a cage, let them go, and they would come back to the cage, right? That's not, this is strange. Some scholars, man, they've been looking at this for years. And one scholar summed it up. He, he thought that there were maybe a lot of different aspects. He says, well, it's because of the dove's softness, the beauty of its feathers and eyes, and affection for and faithfulness to its mate. Okay, so he kind of tries to bring in these different aspects of what doves look like, uh, the way that they act. And hey, that's great. And I think that those are, maybe we're on the right path. And I think that there is uh, some sort of cultural element at play here that we don't fully have a grasp on. But you know, the reality is that that's okay. This is a good reminder that what we're reading right now is poetry. It's a song. Whenever we're reading scripture, we should be mindful of what the genre of that scripture is. We're not reading uh, a letter written by Paul to a church to establish their theology, right? Where every single word is just jam-packed with super important information about how you are saved or, or how you shall live, right? Those aren't, that's not happening here. This is a different genre. This is a song. It's poetic. So maybe we don't fully understand this analogy. Maybe we can get some good guesses, and that's okay. In some way, he was communicating something positive. Your eyes. Mm, doves. Right? Your nose like a badger. Right? Like there's, something, there's something positive in that that we don't quite get, but that's okay. That's okay. But we see, again, just this idea of it being positive. This song, they're just building one another up and building and building and building and building until we see the woman speaking in 16. She says, behold, you are beautiful. My beloved, truly delightful, our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. What is she describing? The forest, right? They're out in the woods. Again, this could be a continuation of the exact same song. This could be a brand new song with a brand new couple being discussed. She's saying, oh, well, look. Look at where we are. The couch, it's green. The beams are cedar. The rafters are pine. They're in the woods. They're laying down in grass and they're looking up and they're seeing trees, right? This is the mo- right, this should be every camp counselor's nightmare, right? That's what we've reached right here. You've been working at Pine Cove or wherever and you're like, red and blue making purple, right? Like, what's going on? Like, no purple, right? This is the moment where you're like, you try to go find them. You're like, no, no, blah, blah, blah. This was happening. They're finding intimacy in the woods. They've stolen away and they're in the forest. And they're laying on this green couch. They're looking up the rafters and the beams. And she's describing this beautiful moment, this intimate moment. Which again, a reminder that this is, could be a different couple, right? This isn't necessarily a perfect narrative. Some people would read this. They say, yeah, they're just laying in the grass and that's as far as it goes. That's pretty cool, right? But other people are like, no, nah, it sounds like they're, you know... About to have sex, basically, is what I'm getting at. Right? That's, that's, that's what the head nod is. They're going to yeah, have sex with one another, right? That's what lo- it's looking like. And so when we read this, we're like, well, it doesn't really make sense then for it to be one couple because there's a marriage later on. So it's not necessarily a perfect narrative. Or as we're reading the Song of Songs, we need to realize it's not necessarily, could be, but not necessarily a perfect narrative with one couple that could or could not include the King Solomon possible, but it's not 100%. And I think this passage is one of the key ones that kind of points us towards believing that maybe that this is a collection of songs 
that rather than being grouped by a perfect narrative, instead they're grouped by a poetic theme. And so what we see is this nature theme being built, right? It's not a perfect timeline. Instead, it's a poetic theme, a thread that's being woven in and out of the passages. So they're describing each other's beauty. That's the theme that we're seeing. They're, they're talking about how beautiful it is to be with that person, how beautiful that person is, the beautiful of that moment, the beauty of that moment. So my question for you, my challenge is, I mean, how are you being positive in your pursuit of another person? Whether it's still just an idea in your mind of whether or not to move towards that person, whether you're currently moving towards someone, maybe you and another person have been moving towards each other for months or years at this point. Are you being positive in that? How do we keep our pursuit positive? I'd give you three things. I'd say be mindful of the fact that they're building on each other's beauty instead of building a box. Okay, what I mean by that is we should never enter into a relationship with the goal of fixing that person. Right? We should never enter into a relationship thinking, well, I mean, he's great, but oh my gosh, he still wears cargo shorts? By, with God as my witness, that will end. Right? Like, that's, not, that's not our goal. We enter into a relationship seeking to build that person's beauty, build upon their beauty, not building a box that we then try to fit them into. Right? He doesn't say your eyes are like doves, but oh, I don't like that feather, and I'm going to kind of take that leg off, and okay, now the dove is perfect. A one-legged, partially feathered dove. Because he has really weird tastes, right? And I'm going to fit you in, and now you're perfect, right? That's how we approach people. We go into relationships, and we think, well, if I could just tweak this, and oh, I mean, she's a beautiful flower or whatever, but I don't like these petals, right? Like, and I'm going to kind of move these things around. And man, that, that's not what we see in Scripture. In their movement, in their pursuit, they are positive. They're positive, overwhelmingly positive. How are you building that person up? Both with them and apart from them. How are you building that person up? Building on their beauty. Not just building a box to fit them into. We can also be mindful to be initiating. Right? In this passage, what we see is two people initiating. No one's dead weight. Right? As they're moving towards one another, both sides are moving. Both sides are initiating. Both sides are speaking. In fact, if we went back a couple weeks, the woman speaks first. They're speaking and they're moving in a mutual way. No one's dead weight. This relationship is not, right, when we talk about pursuit, it's not a hunter and the, the prey, right? This isn't a lion and a gazelle. How will I find my gazelle? Oh, she's running. <laughs> I don't know, like, but I will catch her, right? Like, that's not what we see. They are the same creature. They are the same animal. You're both gazelles, right? And you're just running around and eating bugs or I don't know, whatever they do. You're both on the equal playing field. There is mutual movement. There is mutual initiation. No one's laying traps with that whatever shoe. Ah, oh, God, I don't know. But you're not laying traps for each other. You're not trying to catch the other person. There's movement towards one another. Both of them moving. Not one just sitting up and waiting for the other one to catch up. Mutual movement. We also see in the positivity the man, because especially for the men, he's known by what? When she's describing him, when she's talking about him, what does she bring out? What does she accentuate? What does she talk about over and over and over again? It's his affection. He's known by his affection, not his authority. This is a problem, especially within Christian 
culture, within Christian circles, we've taken marriage principles and we've somehow tried to fit them into dating. And so guys, I've had guys come talk to me like, I don't know, like, how to lead this woman, right? How long have y'all been dating? About a week, and I feel like I should lead her, right? Or maybe we haven't even gone on a date yet, but how will I lead that date? How will I steer our ship straight to marriage or whatever it is? How do I lead this woman? And we were worried about leading and being this authority over the relationship when the reality is, men, you need to worry about being affectionate. You need to worry about building and initiating, not leading, He's known for his affection, not his authority. He's known for his love, not his leadership. In this movement, you don't worry about being the top alpha dog or gazelle, I guess is what we were saying. You're not the alpha gazelle, right? You're both just gazelles and you're running. And one day, one day you will be one body. If you get married, you are one body. At that point, there are certain leadership principles that are applied. There are certain elements at play there where, yeah, at some point she wants to go to Red Lobster and he doesn't because that's a terrible place to go. And someone's got to make that call. That doesn't mean that the guy's going to be like, no, I'm the authority and we will not go to Red Lobster. We will go to Olive Garden, right? Like that's, not, that's not how that works, right? And that's a whole nother talk. We're not even going to get into that. But there will be a time where there is a certain, there's a movement of submission, there's a movement of service, of sacrifice in a marriage relationship that takes place. That is absolutely true. And the ultimate authority in every marriage is Jesus Christ. But you're not married. You're not one body. You're not on one ship. You're two different gazelles steering two different boats going on your way. And you need to initiate and move towards one another mutually. That's how you're positive. And let me tell you, when we do that, guys and girls, when we move in those ways, if we're overwhelmingly positive in the way that we build up the beauty of the other person, in the way that we guide or initiate with that person, in the way that we are just bringing praise and glory to that person, and if we do that, the world around us will notice. Because that's not normal. Our culture will look at that relationship that's continuing to be positive week after week after month after month after year after year, and the world will notice. They'll say, how is that working? How are you so positive? Why aren't you joining in and talking about, oh, ladies are crazy or boys are dumb. Like, why aren't you joining in on those conversations? And you can turn to that person and you tell them, because I am dating, I'm moving towards a child of God. Someone who's created by the Lord with beauty and with purpose. I recognize that this person that I'm dating, Jesus Christ died for him. Jesus Christ died for her. So when I see that person, I see someone worthy of the death of God. And so I will be so positive about that person. I will move so lovingly towards that person. Because God died for him. God died for her. And we reflect the gospel through our dating. Through the way that we are positive. It's amazing. That's awesome. But they're not just positive towards one another. We also see an element of protection. 
created in their pursuit. Starting in chapter 2, the woman is talking and she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a, and then the guy, or sorry. <clears throat> the guy then says, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. Basically what's happening is that we're taking a slight uh, flirty flower talk break. And the woman is talking to the guy, and she says, I'm a rose of Sharon. This could also be translated just a flower of Sharon, or even a lily of Sharon. It could be a double lily. And she's saying, look, I, I am this lily. I'm this, basically what she's saying is a common flower. This was an area, Sharon, that was an area where there were lots and lots of flowers blooming all the time, a lot of these lilies. And so she's saying, I'm, I'm just one of them. Right? I'm beautiful, but I'm surrounded by beauty. Right? She's basically saying, I, I'm a blue bonnet near the university exit on Highway 6. During springtime, right? Blue bonnets are beautiful, but by golly, there are a million out there. And I'm just one of them. That's what she says. I'm just one of the, one of the blue bonnets near University Exit on Thomas. And the guy says what? He says, no, as a lily among brambles or as a lily among thorns, that's what you are. You among the other women, your beauty is so far surpasses them. They look like thorns. He's saying, you are a blue bonnet surrounded by Indian paintbrush. Ugh, right? No one wants to take the roommate pictures in that garbage, right? You want the blue bonnets. They come out at the same time. You're like, I'm not going to pose with the Indian paintbrush. Blue bonnets. That's where it's at. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to describe you. You are a blue bonnet amidst the Indian paintbrush. You are a lily amongst the brambles, the thorns. He's saying, I, I don't even look at the women around you. I don't even see them. They're thorns compared to how beautiful you are. And she turns back to the man. She says, well, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow. His fruit was sweet to my taste. She's building upon this imagery. She's saying, you, you're like an apple tree, right? So this tree that stands out amongst the other trees, you bring the sweet fruit. She's probably talking about kisses right there. Just a heads up. Those mouth kisses, right, from the first week. It says, your fruit, those, this affection that you have, this love that you pour out, it's sweet. I sit in your shade. I'm, I'm safe in your shadow. She's describing this beauty. She's describing this security, this intimacy. She says, you brought me to your banqueting house. This banner over me was love. Another way to translate this, your gaze was intentional. You looked at me with intent. In other words, you have identified yourself with me. The banner, that's a translation that comes out of an uh, ancient practice where if you're in a battle, right, and you're the cavalry and you're charging and all of a sudden there's a girl horse and your guy horse is like, oh, and you're like, no, and you're distracted. All of a sudden you're like, where's my troops? Like, what am I going to do? And you look for your banner. You look for that big flag that would wave out in the breeze and you would look for where your people were and you would go to that banner. It was this big public identification. Where do you need to be? She says, that's what you've given me. You've identified me. You've been intentional and you've identified yourself with me. Your banner is over me. She's describing this intimacy, this security, this identification, which then leads to more intimacy because then she calls out to her friend. She says, sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples for I am sick with love. She could all, this is also translated, she's calling for raisin cakes, which were basically the, the cliff bars of the ancient world. She says... Your love is so powerful. Our intimacy is so great because in our intimacy, I find security. And that security leads to more intimacy. And that intimacy means I need to carb up. Like I need to get some raisins in my system. 
because this love is so powerful. I'm sick. I'm exhausted from the overpowering, just amazingness of this love. There is security found in their pursuit. There is protection built for one another. She says, your left hand, it's under my head. His right hand embraces me, pulls me. There's intimacy that is amplified by the security, by the protection in their relationship. So how do we keep our relationships protected? How do we listen to her call in verse 7 where she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Basically, she's saying, don't rush it. Don't, don't jump ahead of the game. Don't, don't kickstart love when it's not ready. Don't force it. There's another way to translate it. Don't force love because it's powerful. Make sure that there's protection. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we build protection into our pursuit, into our movement? Well, I'll tell you, you have an amazing ability to bring security in both your attitude and in your actions, both men and women. You can affirm the other person in such a way that they feel safe, both in the way that you act towards them and in the way that you speak about them. A lot of times, the way I've seen this play out, and there are multiple opinions on this. This isn't the only right way. But a lot of times, the way this plays out is in your relationships with people of the opposite gender. If I'm dating a girl, it's probably not the best call for my best friend to be another girl. It's probably not the best, not the most secure, if I'm super close to this other girl. Now, is there pushback on that? Can some people be like, no, I, I can do it. I'm the one. I'm the chosen anointed one of the Lord who can have that best friend girl and the dating girl. And that's fine. Hey, you go for it. Probably won't get married, but that's okay, right? No, I'm just kidding. But that, you know, maybe that works. Maybe that works. Or maybe you're the girl, maybe the other side. Maybe your guy or friend can be really great. That's fine. But I'm telling you, the majority of the time, the relationships I've seen over and over and over and over again with students, with my friends, in my own life, I'm telling you, it is very, very easy for that relationship to bring, to break the security felt by that other person, by the one you're dating. And can you mend that and can you not, can you overcome that? Absolutely. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's easy for security to be broken. And when you don't have that security, you don't have intimacy. When you don't have intimacy, then what are you doing? So be intentional. Build in security the way you act towards that person and the way you speak about them. When you're with your friends and talking about so-and-so or the person you're dating or the person you're about to date or whatever, are you positive? Going back to the point of before, are you being positive in that language? Because, man, that gets back around. And if someone hears that you talked about or you've told this one embarrassing story about her or about him, with Susan and myself, uh, I think we were already married, but I was in youth ministry, told an, a story uh, about her where basically she rejected my, uh, well, not rejected, but she, she delayed my advances a few times when we were trying to st- kick up our uh, dating relationship. And the way I presented it to these junior high kids, uh, I didn't clear it with her beforehand. And the way I presented it, I described it as I would put my heart out and she would just smash it and just lay the broken pieces on the floor. I know. In hindsight, 
Not the best choice of words. And she <laughs> confronted me about that because, because for like a week after that, these junior high kids would walk up to her and be like, what's up, heartbreaker? Or like something like that. They'd be like, oh, you're going to break my heart? <laughs> and then I got in huge trouble, right? Because those words came back around. Are you being intentional? Are you providing security in your attitude towards that person, both when they're around and when they're not? Are you building in security in that relationship? Are you protecting them in that way? When we look in this passage, we see the guy is described as a tree, not a vine. Okay? The distinction that I'm going to draw out of that, I don't think it's clear in the text, or it's not necessarily in the text, but what we can draw from that is that he's a tree, or she's described as a tree at another point. Not a vine, meaning a tree, what does it do? It grows up, spreads out its branches. Sometimes it grows fruit, boop, and it's awesome. A vine, what does it do? It goes up something, it goes up like another tree, and it chokes the life out of it, right? It's just a, this inescapable, like, ah, vine, right? That's what vines do. <laughs> she is free to move in and out of this relationship. This guy is providing her an easy way out. You can provide protection for that other person, that other guy or that other girl. If you are giving them a way out, don't corner them with expectations. You have a great date. You don't say, hey, so what are you thinking about on Thursday? Like maybe you, you want to go to the same restaurant, a different restaurant. What, what do you want to name our daughter? Bridget? I love it. Right? Like that's, <laughs> you can bring an expectation that corners that person where it's not an easy way out. Maybe they still find a way out, but it's not easy. Don't, don't do that. Don't corner them with those expectations. Don't corner them with open questions. This is what I absolutely hate, what I've seen in relationships where you ask her, like, hey, instead of just saying, hey, do you want to go to dinner on Thursday or whatever? And you say, hey, what are, you, what are you doing this week? What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, they have to give you the whole schedule? Like, when you give them that open-ended question, you're not giving them an easy way out. Just be direct. Don't just ask them, hey, what are you doing next semester? Oh, okay, let's go out, right? Let's, don't corner them with that open-ended question. Give them an easy way out. Protect them in that way. Protect them also with a healthy distance and with a healthy uh, a boundary. Because you need to realize that this person you're dating, man, that could be someone else's spouse. It could be someone else's husband. It could be someone else's wife. Guard them. Protect them accordingly. Protect them physically and emotionally and spiritually. Protect them. As your relationship progresses, as you get closer and closer to marriage, Will there, will there need to be times where emotional stuff just comes out, where baggage is unloaded? Absolutely. But that doesn't need to happen right away. That should be reserved for someone who's, man, really clearly on that path. So protect them physically, emotionally, spiritually. Don't be that couple that shows up at Muldoon's last semester. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to work away. Don't be that couple that shows up, sits on the couch, pops open a Bible, turns to Psalms, gets wrapped up just in each other's arms, reads a psalm aloud, and then sits there and prays together for like half an hour. Just, mm. dear God. You know, like that's not, that's not going to be probably the most protected time. Like that's, that's probably a little bit too far on that spiritual spectrum. You're probably not guarding yourself. You're probably not protecting that person very well. That's the way your quiet times are mutual. And uh, Come on. So just be aware of that. Be aware if that woman, if her future husband was to happen to walk into Muldoon's and look at the situation, what would he think? 
or vice versa. Protect that person. And when you protect them, you know what you're doing? You're showing people, not that you just are really great at protecting people or you're really great at putting in boundaries. You're showing people that you trust God. Because you're showing people that you believe that God has a plan. And that plan could include y'all still being together in six months. That plan could include y'all being broken up in six months. And you're showing people that when you are willing to protect them and draw boundaries and not force yourself on them or corner them into another date, when you protect them and yourself in that way, you are showing people, I trust God's plan. I'm okay with where he wants us to be. In the way that we build protection, man, we reflect God. We reflect his gospel. The fact that he had such an amazing plan that he looked down at these broken people and he sent his son to die for them. And that that death only lasted for three days until Jesus Christ rose from the grave. That all who might call on his name would be saved. That there would be no condemnation for anyone who aligns themselves with Christ Jesus. When you protect someone, you're showing people that's what you believe that you trust in the God who is good, who created this other being, and who has a plan. But what we see is not only the positiveness, not only the protection, we also see their pursuit of one another has an incredible purpose. The woman is describing this beautiful word picture that basically sums up everything we just talked about. She says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. He's leaping over the mountains. He's bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, looking through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and he says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. We see in this moment, in this beautiful picture, all these elements. We see this guy being incredibly positive, right? He's Leaping over mountains. He's bounding over hills. Literally, he's jumping over mountains to get to this woman. He's being so incredibly positive. He's not dead weight. He's not that uninterested, kind of like, oh, I don't know, the kind of guy. He's very direct. He's moving towards her in a positive way. We also see him acting uh, in a way that protects her. When he gets to the wall, he stops. He arrives at the wall. He arrives at the window. And he stops. He hasn't come on through. Yeah, like, uh, I'm going to force my plan on you, right? What are you doing next semester, right? He doesn't pop up and do that. Instead, he stops at that healthy distance. And he says, hey, hey, what are you doing? Come on, right? He calls out to her. He says, arise, my beloved, come on. He calls to her. He's clear in his communication. He has a purpose. He's not being manipulative, and he's not being mysterious. He's not being this unknown entity that's kind of out there, and he's just, oh, I don't know. What's he thinking? He, loved, he jumped over that hill, and then he just kind of stopped jumping over hills, and he sent me this really long text that said he's got to pray about it. I don't know what that means. Right? Like, I don't know what this is. He's being clear. He's being direct. He's not being mysterious. For whatever reason, this was like the top Google image when I typed in mysterious man, and I didn't understand it. <laughs> I didn't understand it, which made it more mysterious, which meant I absolutely had to use it. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on there. It's mysterious. That's not what we should be. She's saying this man has purpose. He's so clear and he's so consistent. 
If we are going to bring purpose into our pursuit of one another, I'm telling you, you've got to be clear. You've got to be consistent. This is for guys and girls. Clear, consistent. Be open in your communication before the date, during the date, after the date. Be clear in in that time. Be honest. Honesty is always going to be best. Be direct with your questions and be direct with your answers. Don't leave them hanging. Don't give them those open-ended questions. Of, Don't give them that open-ended answer of, oh, this was a good, I guess. Right? Be direct. If you don't want to go on another date, just tell them. Oh, my gosh. Be direct. <laughs> Especially to him. My gosh. <laughs> just be direct. And guys, same thing, man. Be direct. Give them a clear Entry point. Give them a clear exit. Again, you're open-ended. You're that tree. You're trying to be clear and direct in the way that you pose questions and the way that you give answers. You don't need to be that guy who's like, who hears, who talks to the friend first, who talks to the other friend, who then talks to the girl. You don't need to be that guy who hears about like, oh, she kind of likes me. Well, let me just, I'm just going to pray about it for like six weeks. And then, and then the Lord will tell, that's not, Be direct. Just know. Be like, okay, I'm going I'm to move forward on this, or I'm not. Be direct. Be clear. Be consistent. When you have that purpose, I'm telling you, what you're doing is you're not just being great in the relationship. When you are direct and have a purpose, what you're doing is you are reflecting the fact that Jesus Christ has called us to be direct. That Jesus Christ has called us to be clear and consistent. Because he told us. His like, biggest command was that we should be loving towards one another, sacrificing for one another. That when people look into the Christian community, they should know us by the way that we love one another. You know what's the most loving way to interact with someone? To be clear and consistent, to be direct. So when someone looks at your dating relationship and they see that positivity, I mean, when they see that protection, when they see that purpose, what an amazing opportunity you have to tell them about the fact that God created that person. God created this man or this woman. And by God's perfect plan, Jesus Christ died for that person. Therefore, I'm going to love this person the way that Jesus Christ has commanded me to love them. Our dating is not just this little side thing that we do while we glorify God and seek God over here. Dating is a part of the entire picture. The way that we date, the melody of our dating relationships can reflect the message of God's gospel. As we sing a few more songs, there's going to be some leaders in the back who are going to be praying for you. They're going to be praying for your relationships, both with the opposite gender and your dating and all that jazz. They're also going to be praying for your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't put your trust in his life, death, and resurrection— if you haven't trusted in him as your savior, I'll be praying for you. Those people in the back, they'll be praying for you. If you'd like to come talk to one of us about that, please do. If you already do have a relationship with God through Jesus, then you can still come talk to us. Do you have a specific request? Is there a relationship that's really on your mind? Is there an issue that's coming up that you really want prayer for? Is there a test that you're just really freaking out about? Come talk to us. Give us specific requests. Let us serve you. Because we want to desperately. So let's go before the Lord.
right now. God, we, we thank you for the fact that you have designed relationships. The God, you've designed men and women with differences that don't have to be scary. But God, there are differences that can be embraced, that can be used to just see a more full picture of who you are. God, of what you've done. Lord, we thank you that you use beautiful imagery like a marriage to describe the relationship of Jesus Christ with his church. God, we thank you that you use beautiful imagery like the songs found in Song of Songs to describe what a relationship that keeps you as its focus, what that relationship can look like. If you would, take a moment, ask the Lord to just convict you, to grab a hold of your heart, to show you maybe where you've been going about relationships in the wrong way. Ask the Lord to show you maybe where have you dated before, where are you currently dating that's apart from his will, that's not positive, that's not protected, that doesn't have purpose. Ask the Lord to convict you of that right now. If you would, take a moment now and thank the Lord that there's always redemption available in our brokenness, that there's always something new that He will provide. There's always healing that He provides, even in the midst of our mistakes. Thank Him for that and ask Him, what's the next step? What conversation needs to happen? What, what time needs to be sealed away for, for maybe talking with the Lord Himself? Ask God to show you what's that next step, that friend you need to talk to or the person you're dating that you need to talk to. Ask the Lord to show you how can you move towards a godly relationship? How can you move towards reflecting Him in the way that you date?